Hello, everyone, and welcome to another version of uh, Bill Roden on sports. This is one of those telecast ones, I mean, broadcasts we're going to be Bill Roden Sports and Beyond because we've got a great, we're going to talk some music tonight. But I'm here in Harlem, USA, at our studio high above. <laughs> and with Jamal Murphy, the co-host, friend, Jamal, what's happening? I made it out here again. All the way up. All the way up in Harlem. Yeah, deep, we're in inner Harlem today. Uh, and uh, my guest is a good friend and somebody I've been listening to for a long, long, long time, uh, the great Euless Cathy. Euless um, Cathy, for those of you who do not know, is, I call him a jazz impresario. Uh, he's currently the host of a, of a tremendous jazz show on uh, Sirius XM called Real Jazz, uh, channel 67. I know it well. I, I, in fact, I've, I've been subscribing to Sirius Radio since really literally the beginning. And I took a ride. Um, I remember it's like it was yesterday. You was, it was, uh, I, was, I had my little red bug. And I drove oh, yeah. from New York to uh, Sacramento. This is for the trials, I wow. think, before the... I think maybe before the 2000, um, 2004 Olympics. Wow. And Sydney, wherever they were. But I drove to the track and field trials. And the wonderful thing about it, you know, before, remember before back in the day when you go across country, you could never have the channel on one place. You had to like catch it, either have your cassettes or whatever. And then you get these dead spots. But this was the first trip, man, where I had Sirius, well, you could see XM, and I could hear jazz from New York all the way to California. Oh, that's right. Unbroken. That's right. I mean, it was great. So, you know, you, I want to get the bio for you. Uh, you're at Sirius uh, XM, Channel 67, but you're also at WBGO, uh, which I, you know, uh, 88.3 here in New York. But let people know when they could hear you, because it's kind of back and forth, when they could hear you on Sirius and when they could hear you on WBGO. Well, on Sirius XM, uh, oh, first of all, I, I'm glad to be here with you. I mean, you know, you and I, I, I have tremendous respect for you uh, and uh, what you uh, uh, have represented and, uh, and what you've accomplished uh, in the world of sports writing, but like you made reference to uh, at the beginning, uh, I know you, we've had great conversations about the music, so I'm really pleased to be here so that we can talk about this uh, uh, music uh, mm. in this particular context. Mm. But to answer your question. <laughs> Thank you very much. Absolutely. For that. <laughs> to, to answer your question, uh, I can be heard uh, Monday through Fridays, 9 a.m. until 3 p.m., Saturdays from uh, 2 p.m. until 8 p.m. On, on Sirius. On Real Jazz, Real Jazz Sirius Jazz. XM 67. And um, on Sundays on WBGO, I have a show, a, a multi genre show a mixture of different genres of music called the Sunday Night Music Mix, and that uh, that airs at 8 p.m. Uh, on uh, Sunday nights on WBGO 88.3 FM. So here, here's a quiz. Uh, you've actually been here before. We've had, you, you graced us with your presence. We had a, um, you know, I give these Desert Isle listening sets. That's and right. uh, you were, you came to, I think maybe one or two, mm -hmm. but you came to a Desert Isle listening set. And I forgot the music you, I forgot the I forgot the theme because we have these themes each year. Right, that's right. And there was a theme, and I forgot the. Do you remember the music that you? Uh, no, I you? no, I can't remember exactly what I brought that particular evening. It could have it could have been a number of different things, <laughs> you know, given the circumstances. I can't recall right now exactly what it was. Mm -hmm. 
But well, anyway, but you you, you were here, and it was whatever it was. It was it was him. Here's my quiz. Uh, there are a lot of people who are probably listening to Bill Roden on sports, who are kind, who probably, if they're friends of mine, listen, they probably are kind of interested in the music. But if there was somebody, if you were going to choose three tunes, and somebody said, okay, listen, I really want to get into this great black music called jazz. How do I get into? What would I? What What are three pieces that you would kind of suggest um, that I listen to um, while you're churning? Because I, I I I threw this curveball, but I, I might say, all right, well, listen to Kind of Blue. I mean, you can't yeah. you right. can't go wrong with Miles Davis Kind right. of Blue. Right. But what would be? What What are your three? What, would, what let's say what are the three pieces you tell people to go to? Well, you know, I, I would start. It's interesting because I've always thought of a question like that less about tracks and more about musicians. Oh, okay, that's great. Um, because I think that just about, uh, you know, there's a key period in Miles Davis's career where you can choose just about uh, anything that he's done and it would serve as a great introduction to, to uh, the things, um, to, to, to the music, okay, an entree, mm -hmm. uh, if you will. But I think if you wanted to be... Um, if you wanted to be broad based about it, uh, you might want to think in terms of era. You know, you you um, might want to think of uh, of uh, of uh, the kind of blue recording and uh, um, all blues would be a, a good place to start. Uh, you know, you might uh, choose any of a number of things from Duke Ellington, uh, which would be a good place uh, to start. Uh, you know, and you could think of all kinds of up-tempo things, but, you know, something beautiful featuring Johnny Hodges and Isfahan or something like that would be great. Or Upper Manhattan Medical Group by Billy Strayhorn, anything that Duke and Strayhorn did would be a good introduction to that period and the kinds of things that are done. And then, of course, you can go back to... Uh, to um, you know the uh, initial period of Dizzy and, and Bird, and choose a track like Hot House or something like that. Those would cover bases, and and I mean I'm just picking things you know out of the air. I mean you could also go into the hard bop period and pick anything from Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers, which I think as I'm thinking of this and speaking out loud is probably representative of the of the group sound that exemplifies jazz in a lot of people's minds. You know, those quintet uh, and, uh, and maybe sextet uh, and quartet groupings that exemplify the hard bop sound um, is a good introduction. But I mean, you know, you do something like, uh, or choose something like All Blues or, or something, any of Miles Davis's balance, Always is an easy introduction. Someday my prince will exactly. come. Exactly. Something that I guess, you know, um, as you were talking about that, I, I tend to think of solos. I mean, I like like great solos. Right. You know, and all, and, and that are like timeless in any era. And that's what I'm thinking. Uh, when you were talking about that, one of the things I wrestle with, who are the young lions? In other words, if I was going to introduce a, you know, a, a young person to the music now, I'd start, if you're going to start here, and now, in 2016, who are the people, and you listen to a lot of music. I mean, you listen to a lot of music. You see a lot of music in, in your background, which we'll get to. You produce music. You've, you've, you've run. Who are the young lines, the, the lines now, who are really playing this music, who you would tell people, hey, you got to hear this person. You got to hear this person. Right, listen so you, you could person. tell like me. 
Like yeah. who I should okay, yeah, let's, to let's use Jamal as a, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a sort of guinea pig. Well, you know, and we can get a, into this a little bit more on later, but that kind of question is a very interesting question for this particular point in time in the music because there have been a quote-unquote there have been quote unquote young lion periods going back some thirty years, right. beginning with Wynton Marsalis right. um, as a representative of that of that era, and uh, up through Roy Hargrove and Christa McBride, mm-hmm. uh, Nicholas Payton, and uh, and uh, all of those gentlemen who are still practicing uh, and and contributing great music. Uh, but there's a new generation of musicians that. And I think the most important aspect to look at here, um, this new generation of musicians, a lot of them are incorporating other influences uh, from other genres of music. Um, you know, there are talented young pianists like, uh, like uh, Aaron Deal and Sullivan Fortner uh, on, the, on the piano side, and you've got uh, very talented trumpeters like uh, Theo Croker and Freddie Hendricks, and, and, um, and you've got the revived big band, uh, with uh, Igmar Thomas uh, that incorporates a lot of different uh, uh, um, genres and influences. Robert Glasper, you know, those are folks who have taken, you know, some hip-hop influences and, 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 and other things and created an, another direction um, for the music for a uh, musicians who maybe have not been, or, or, or a listening audience, I should say, that maybe has not been exposed to the music uh, in an extensive way, but are brought into it, um, you know, through other genres of music. Now, those are just a handful of people that come to mind. Uh, and, of course, on the on the vocal side of things, you've got, you have people like uh, Cecile McLaurin-Salvan and Brianna Thomas and, you know, Shawnee Wade and a number of other people who are taking the tradition Okay, and uh, and particularly on the vocal side, they're really focusing on the tradition, and uh, but they're bringing it up to date. Okay, and they are singing the music and presenting songs in such a way that people in their age group are like, "Oh wow, you know, I I wasn't hip to this. Mm. You know, this is presenting something to me that I'm not familiar with at all." This music has always been predicated on that kind of thing happening. So whenever people start talking about um, jazz is dead or things of that nature uh, there's no way it's going to happen and uh, now I've mentioned all these people okay uh, up until this time but probably um, the the musicians who the musician who's probably made the most impact this year uh, is Kamasi Washington and if you were to ask me who is the one person who probably exemplifies uh, talking to a young person right now about jazz it would probably be Kamasi Washington. I spell that so people who are listening can write it down. That's, run through it. I know that's Jamal, right. I saw Jamal. I, wrote, I, took a, I took a stab at it. Right. Yeah, that's K-A-M-A-S-I, uh, out of Los Angeles. Mm. And he incorporates some of the things that I'm talking about. But, you know, it's almost, you know, spiritual, some of the things that he does. He reminds me of the impact that Farrell Saunders had oh, wow. some like 30, 40 years ago. Mm. Uh, and, but he's bringing it to a new generation. Uh, and he's the, he probably is the big story, along with the 13-year-old pianist Joey Alexander, uh, of this year uh, in jazz. You know? how, how do you feel about, you know, as a listener, you're, I'm asking your opinion, mm-hmm. how do you feel about this new generation? I'm sure there are a lot of old school people who, who would poo-poo it, mm-hmm. but 
What's your take on it? I think that it absolutely, it's all about evolution. This music is always about moving forward. And we are in a certain period of time where the reality is that the music is going to change in a certain kind of way. But the most important thing to remember when it comes to jazz is that you never should lose sight of the foundation of this music. You know, the classics, the greats, it always starts from there. Now, where you go from there mm -hmm. is reflective of the time that you're in. It right? don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. It, you always have to have that, and you can't you can't leave it. And what's and the point that I was making and mentioning these younger musicians after you asked me the question is that they grew up in a certain time with certain musics. So naturally, what they do within the context of jazz is going to be influenced by that. But they also are aware of where the music's uh, foundation right. lies. You have to be a student of the game. You, you have to, absolutely. And I believe in that firmly. But as I mentioned, the thing about it is, in terms of this music and its progression, um, it's always going to move forward because it's the nature of, the, of jazz itself. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, we call it whatever name we call it. Right. But it's, 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 as, it's, it's, it's in the bones of this country's foundation. That's right. Like black folks are in the country. I know a lot of people will recall will recoil when I say it's great black music. And people are always kind of get, oh, what do you mean? Like, well, come on. I mean, at some point, you have to. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I'm not, all I'm saying is the truth. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we're sort of the foundation of this great black music. And you can call it anything you want. And, and it, what it was in, in uh, 1901, what it was in 1940, 19, whatever, we've always been at the core of it. And, and I, one of the things I wanted to ask you, now I've had conversations with, like this with, with went to an extent with Ron Carter, who's been on the show, is what do you see, do you see a lot of young black musicians? Because, you know, I always had a problem. I used to be a jazz critic at the Baltimore Sun. And, and when they started moving, it was around that time, like 1980, 83, remember that's when people like Maxim, they start moving into the, they start taking jazz into the university. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know what, man, whenever you start putting a price tag on things, if you ever want to start excluding black folks, whether it's in sports or whatever, when you start slapping a price tag on stuff, say, okay, now the University of the Streets has now moved into University of Rochester. Now to get a, to, to be able to, be bona fide, you gotta get a master's degree or whatever. And now what happens, I think, and, 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 I, and you, could, you could tell me if I'm wrong or what your perspective is. Once you start doing that, once you start moving in, then maybe there's a danger of the talent flow changing, of, the, of, of it being cut off. Uh, what, what do you think about that? That's a very provocative question. It's something I've thought about because in sports we always want to be provocative. There you go. There you go. Um, I have thought about this question uh, many times over the years because there I've I've always felt that there were pluses and minuses to the jazz education uh, system. I don't think that in general you can you can um, talk about the music without uh, talking about giving people opportunities uh, in an academic setting. I mean, I have no problem with that. The, the thing about it, however, is that the flip side of it is that during, uh, over the course of the history of this music, it hasn't been an essential element of developing talent. The most important thing has always been, can you get out there 
okay, in the city, all right, and just play. Um, you don't have to be in a school setting because you can play from musicians who you encounter and who you play with. As a matter of fact, there's so many examples of musicians who end up going to, uh, to Juilliard, for example, uh, but not finishing because they get an opportunity to play with a band and hit the road. There's only so much uh, that they felt that they were able to, to learn in school. Now, the educational system, as far as jazz is concerned, is much broader now. Okay, and there are a lot more musicians uh, in these programs who get opportunities uh, after the fact. Um, I'm I'm kind of on the fence because I still feel that musicians should have the opportunity to play uh, when an opportunity presents itself. The problem is there aren't as many uh, opportunities uh, out there uh, as there used to be. You mean there are clubs, yeah, exactly. To, to to you know to just go out and practice your craft and say you know what. There's a there's a there's a session happening here. There's a session happening there. You know, uptown, downtown, uh, in general. I'm talking about New York is doing its best to have opportunities uh, for musicians. And I've seen uh, over the last maybe eight to ten years, smaller spots downtown opening up uh, where young musicians have a chance to play on a regular basis, like and I think that's possible. Like what? I mean, Craig Harris is doing some stuff up here, right, uptown. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at, at a church. Craig, I think, is every... Is every uh, Craig, I apologize if I'm getting this wrong. We'll have you on the show. But I think it's like Mondays or Tuesdays. But he's doing something regularly during, during the week at a church in Harlem like a midday kind of thing. And, and, what, and what other things? And there, I think that there's something happening at Jenny's. Um, the uptown, there, there, there are spots that are happening. Downtown, uh, you know, the, you've got all kinds of clubs like, you know, Fat Cat and Smalls, Jenny's Uptown, what Craig is doing. In other words, there, there are places where, you know, the music has an opportunity to develop. There are a lot of guys who go, on, who go there regularly, late night jam sessions. It, they're trying to do something. Uh, but to answer your question more specifically, uh, I do think that there, uh, there can be inherent dangers uh, in focusing too much on the education system. But I don't think that it's at a critical point yet as, as long as musicians have a chance to play outside of that circumstance. Now, if there weren't a lot of places to play now, now you know, we're making reference to New York City. And that's oh, not, right. and now, now, now we're not, not even, right. yeah, then, you know, that's not, that's right. not representative right. 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 of the situation completely because in other countries, in other cities rather, uh, it's a little bit different. And, and so in that kind of circumstance, um, you know, I, again, Bill, the bottom line is whenever you have a structured situation where uh, youngsters can learn about the music, as long as the programs are structured in such a way that they can they can actually learn and uh, and get an opportunity to like uh, leave the nest, you know, and make a contribution. It's a good thing, but your concern is well based uh, because now you don't want to get into an you know exclusive kind of situation and el eliminate opportunities for other people. That's a real concern, and I agree with you on that. Mm. You know, um, one of the things I, I, I was. Uh, I was going to ask you, uh, I, I, I was going to ask you, you mentioned Miles, and I was going to ask you, had you seen uh, Miles Ahead? Yes. I just happened to watch it. Uh, we were in Germany, and I kind of resisted seeing it, and I kind of watched it. I watched it over somebody's shoulder, and I could almost tell you what was, you know, I said, okay, right. But do, you, you saw the movie. Uh, what, what did you think of it? Don Cheadle's performance and 
you know, the whole. Well, uh, my impression of it, and, and there's been a lot of discussion about the film. Um, I saw one. Um, I, I saw one uh, um, written um, uh, uh, assessment of it that made reference to it as uh, an impressionistic take on Miles Davis. Um, and to a certain degree, I would uh, agree with that. I think that the movie achieved what it wanted to achieve. It wasn't, it wasn't intended to be you know, a straight biopic. And that would have been a very difficult thing to achieve in the first place because there's too much material and too much about Miles to be included, certainly in a you know traditional two-hour movie. Um, and um, I mean, from a movie-making perspective, uh, you assess it from one perspective. From uh, you know learning about Miles Davis, uh, you get a sense of him, uh, but you don't get a whole picture. So I mean, it's. I'm glad that the film was made, but I mean, sometimes when you're making a film for Hollywood, there's certain things that you have to do that uh, to make sure that it uh, reaches as wide an audience as possible. There are parts of it that I wasn't uh, too crazy about, um, but like, like what? Uh, well, I, I mean, the problem with any any film that deals with uh, a larger than life figure is that you're not going to be able to to, to get the nuances. Mm. Uh, and uh, a lot of nuances in that brother's life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His whole exactly. life was nuanced. Yeah, exactly. And I think that generally speaking, uh, the people who were disappointed in the film were disappointed because uh, from the from the perspective that they didn't uh, get um, as much information about the uh, music making process um, of Miles Davis as they might have wanted to. They didn't get an insight into what made him tick in terms of. His, you know, Miles was legendary in the fact that he changed the music several times, the direction. You know, he he was a, he was a standard bearer. Uh, you don't really get a, a a real reflective sense of that. It's made reference to, uh, but I mean, it was necessary within the context of how they made the film. Uh, so you know, it, it for me personally, being with Miles Davis being my very favorite jazz musician. Mm. You know, naturally, I would have liked to have seen something that was a little bit meatier on a number of levels. Um, but I, in the final analysis, um, people got a sense of Miles. I'm not sure if the sense that they got uh, was what was well, right. was was uh, you know as as far reaching uh, as I would have liked personally. You know, but the the responses of the film um, have covered the entire spectrum. You know, so. You know, I'm just being subjective in terms of what I thought about the film, but I understand if other people uh, got something else from it. Um, but for me, um, you know, with Miles being my man, you know, there's, there's there was something uh, less uh, left to be desired for me personally. I know Quincy Troop was just complete, and I haven't spoken to Quincy, and I want to, but I know Quincy was who wrote. I think Quincy was. I don't want. I don't want to speak for him. But I don't think he was that happy yeah, with yeah. it. And uh, Quincy wrote a tremendous. If you've not, if you're listening to this and you've not read Quincy Troop's uh, book with Miles, That's and Miles right. gave it. You That's must. Right. You absolutely. You must read that. And one of the things I remember, and I, I, I maybe we'll get in this. My guest is uh, the great Euless Kathy. You could hear Euless Kathy on Sirius uh, XM Real Jazz, and you could also hear him at WBGO. And you must 
you must listen to him. You must listen to Eulis because he plays some great music. He knows about this music. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. Uh, one of the points I wanted to make while I lost my train of thought was you, we were talking about music in the schools. And you know, I'm from Chicago, and my father taught for years at DuSable High School. And that's where the uh, great yes. Walter, Walter Diet was. That's right. Walter Diet. I mean, so many bad brothers passed through, that's right. through, through DuSable, between DuSable and Phillips. There were more great musicians. But remember back then, when you went to a public school, you got instruments. And that's where a lot of people, no matter how much money you did not have, you know, it's like a level playing field because you come to school, you go to all these schools across, and everybody got instruments, band. And you put, it's kind of like you give some of these cats some instruments with Louis Armstrong, whatever. And I think that what's happened in the past X number of years, when they take music out of the school, it's almost like just saying, wait a minute, you know, fuck that. Let's, let's close, let's close that hatch, you know. And so now music is largely out of publication. And that's why I'm saying when you look yeah. at this narrative, and then we, we take it out of the, we take the free stuff out, then we're going to put it into colleges yeah. where you're going to pay. Well, who can pay? Yeah, well, Bill, I'm glad you clarified that because that is, I, it's something that's always been uh, um, something that's really bothered me and concerned me a great deal because just like you, you know, I grew up in a circumstance where elementary schools, everyone had an opportunity to participate in music. And that's disappearing music, art, physical education, all those basic things um, are disappearing from, you know, the elementary school systems around the country. And the thing about it is, and I say this all the time to people when we're talking about this, I said, people don't realize music and art are essential to the development of any society or, and, and civilization. You know, not having it, you know, you know you're lacking, you know, as a part of what helps you um, grow and evolve as a society. It's, it's, it's so essential. And so to address your, your distinction, uh, when you start talking about schools and how people are eliminated, you're absolutely right, because in elementary school, you get the instruments, you are able to be, participate in bands uh, and the like, but if they disappear, Everyone's not going to go to college. Everyone's not going to have the opportunity to participate in uh, programs, uh, jazz education programs or, or jazz performance programs in college. And consequently, um, you're right about people just being left out. And that would not happen. You know, these people would already be, you know, essentially practicing and growing as musicians from the time they were in elementary school the way it used to, to, right. to be. In, in order to get to the college level, you would have have to have been practicing in elementary. And in order to do that now, without it being in the public schools, you, you have to take lessons that cost money. Exactly. So, so it's, it's, so pri it's a private situation. That's right. And, and see, whenever you talk about that, what it, this is my favorite quote from Neely Fuller's Walter B. When you don't understand white supremacy and racism and what it is and how it works, everything you do understand will confuse you. And I know that sounds harsh, but I think we can't be, well, why is this? Well, why? Well, yeah. Why? Well, why yeah. is why? Because yeah. I think that in this country, and, I, and I've seen in sports, and when we talk, I'm going to talk about why I've got you as Kathy on here and my love of the music, but I see it in sports of the jockey syndrome, where we dominated horse racing for three centuries. Yeah. But our whole country is predicated, and, 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 and the justification for slavery is that, well, these people are less than and they're inferior. 
But yet, when you go to the outer reaches of China, Korea, what the, the thing they're listening to is black music. That's right. And 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 remember, and every you can go to the. I was in like. You can go to the farthest reaches of anywhere. They listen to black music. So you have the people here saying, wait a minute. People from outside the country say the hippest thing about America are these people. Yeah. Their music, their style. And so I think that there's almost this kind of constant assault on things that we just do well. Things, I mean, they, 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 things that we dominate. And also things that we do, period. Because when you're talking about public schools in general, they're taking money away from it all. All, not just music, but everything. That's Taking right. books away. That's right. <laughs> so it's every. That's it's not, right. It's not just not the music right. one department. And then you look at physical ed. Things. So, so I mean, I don't want to. Well, I do want to go because I think people have to understand. It's not just sports. Or it's not just music. The whole. Yeah. It, it's a holistic kind of thing, and our music has been our signature of the world. I mean, you know, and I think it's a very important thing so I want to get that's why I want to kind of get back to that because there's no lightweight kind of thing no no it's it's not and 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 it's a it's it's essential conversation and I've had conversations like I said with people about it all the time because you know I grew up in a circumstance just like that you know yeah exactly in Buffalo New York and and I was in an, an elementary school system where everyone had an opportunity to uh to get to have an instrument and uh, participate in music classes, take music as an, an essential course, you know, during their early uh, elementary school years. And uh, it makes such a difference in your overall perspective uh, of, of understanding culture mm. in general, okay? Uh, because music is just such a connecting force. And, and your point that you made just a moment ago, and as we've made so far, uh, during this discussion about jazz in particular and, and black music in general being such an uh, you know a core essential part of and 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 the the, the trunk of the music tree in this society in this country uh, and the fact that all over the world people um, acknowledge that and and and, and it's a given um, it's something not to be taken lightly yeah uh, my guest is great Euless Kathy of uh, Sirius. XM Real Jazz, also of WBGO. We're going to take a break, and uh, when we come back, uh, I want to tell people, they say, well, Ro, what the fuck are you doing, man? You're Bill Roden on sports, but I want to tell you why I'm doing this. A, because I love the music. Um, this is, you know, but we'll get into that when we take a break, and we'll come back. Bill Roden on sports in just a second. <laughs> Welcome back to Roden on Sports and Beyond. I keep telling Jamal we have Bill Roden on Sports and Beyond. Yeah, it's a given. You mentioned Bill Roden, people know it's Beyond. That's I don't that know, man. That's, like, that's kind of new. One. Trust me, that's kind of new. But that's okay. <laughs> Bill Roden Sports and Beyond. But anyway, uh, we're back with my guest is Eulis uh, Cathy of uh, uh, Sirius uh, XM. I mean Sirius XM, Real Jazz and uh, WBGO. And I just want to say one thing. I mean. Uh, Ever since almost I got into the music, there was always a correlation between sports and, and jazz. All the jazz cats mm -hmm. love the music. Yeah. All the musicians love jazz. I mean, this all goes back to, to Jack Johnson. Yeah. 
when he was playing bass fiddle with uh, Rube Foster's team, the, the uh, Chicago uh, Giants, and they kind of helped him when he was trying to escape and all that. There's always been this correlation, and frankly, that's been music and sports, particularly, have been my two main arteries of helping me understand the world, helping me understand culture, just do those two things. And like I said, um, uh, I was, uh, and this goes back when I was like nine years old or something in my, um, and so I was a jazz critic at um, The Sun. I thought that when I got to New York in the Times, okay, cool, I'll, I'll spend a year up here and then I'll float over to culture, start writing jazz. And what I was doing at The Sun, Baltimore Sound, was using, using jazz and, and being a quote unquote critic to understand racism and culture and all that. So I figured, cool, now I'll go up to the time, you go up to New York, do that. I didn't realize when it was time to write that that fortress was so heavily guarded. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, no, 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 you know, because that, and I ended up having a, a great career at the time doing, doing the same thing with sports, but it's different when you kind of, when your foxhole is sports, which I knew like the back of my hand, and you're talking about who, can, the questions are the same, who controls it? Who controls it? Who controls the industry of sports? But when you ask those questions about music, well, wait a minute, who controls it? Who controls the distribution? Who control? I know we control, we're the artists, you know, but who controls the music? And we start asking those questions, brother, you're going down a path that a lot of people don't necessarily want you to go down in a place like the New York Times or Washington Post, where you start talking about power and control and artistry. And what I noticed in sports, and I'm sorry for this, soliloquy but I just want to get it out I noticed when I was in, when doing the music thing that a lot of the, the brothers and sisters who were playing the music had the consciousness they didn't say I have the money you switch over to sports where now these guys, a lot of them have the money they don't necessarily have the consciousness mm -hmm. to essentially do what control control the product control the means of distribution control and that's what it boils down to and this stuff power and control and who controls the music, who controls the sports industry, and they're really linked. Yeah, they're really linked. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, again, if you don't understand, I, I keep getting back to white supremacy and race and how it works and what it is, you'll be confused by everything you do know because you'll be asking this question, why is this happening? Why is, well, it's about who's gonna be the, who's gonna be the face of this of this American culture, who's the backbone of it? Who's the soul of it? What do you think about that? Well, <laughs> well, I, I mean, you, you know, the reality, Bill, is that when you start talking about media and sports and entertainment, we all know it's institutionalized in terms of, of, of who owns it. Uh, and it, that's always been a point of contention. And, and, and when we start talking about jazz in particular, uh, we're talking about the music business, period. And I right. spent 17 years working in the music business. Um, you're talking about the music business in general, but jazz specifically, it's always been a discussion, and, and you talk to a lot of the, the uh, older jazz musicians, uh, and, and they will always have uh, you know something significant to say about that aspect of it. Uh, it's one of the things that have, has been a longstanding uh, point of contention, uh, and something that uh, musicians over the years, have addressed in a variety of ways. I mean, you go back to the early 50s when Charles Mingus and Max Roach had debut. That's right. Okay, right. and that's just an example of musicians who wanted to take, you know, control of their own music. Well, that was a record label. And that was a record label, to clarify, uh, debut records. Um, so, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that 
um, we'll always discuss and we'll always uh, push to, to to change, you know. And it's it's a it's a long-standing, long-standing issue and a long-standing battle. And the thing about it is that the opportunities uh, to control um, certainly what you make. And uh, you know, identify it in terms of distribution systems is a little bit different now with digital technology. Mm, yeah. So you can make your decisions themselves. The record business used to be such uh, in the uh, in the brick and mortar days, where you know you needed to be signed by someone to have your record uh, or, or or you know you have your recording uh, exposed to people. Well, that's not the case anymore. You know, the whole the whole idea of how you re- get music into someone's hands, the whole process of it has changed significantly now. Um, so if you start talking about the overall uh, control of the business, that's one thing. But in, in, in terms of the art itself, you know, individually, um, musicians are being as creative as ever in terms of creating circumstances where they can, it's all about exposing your music. However you get the music in the hands of the consumer is the most important thing. And, and the way you can do it now uh, is, you know, in, increased quite a bit. So, and so you've seen a difference in terms of, uh, because you mentioned the word institutionalized. Yeah. I think that goes both ways, right? So, so black people are, have probably been institutionalized as well, feeling that they can't, take the leadership role because we're, we're not used to doing that. So we almost feel that, you know, we need this other person to get our music out. But with the new, uh, you know, opportunities out there, do you see people taking advantage of those? Well, you know, as far as, as, as the way it's traditionally been, there just hasn't been uh, enough, uh, there haven't been enough uh, people of color in, particularly talking about jazz, uh, in decision-making uh, positions, uh, in terms of leading record companies, um, as far as that's concerned. Um, so within the context of the record business, and just like in the context of, of television, and in the context of uh, NFL ownership, I mean, it, it, you know, the, the similarity is there. What I am making reference to uh, outside of, of those uh, aspects is the fact that now individual musicians at least have a flexibility of not even going to uh, going a record company route uh, necessarily and, and dealing with that because if you have if you are able to make the money find the studio get a group of musicians get a cooperative if you will uh, to uh, to with a group of people who all feel the same way you do make your product uh, now it's it's not as easy it's certainly not as easy, but it can be done a lot easier than it used to be able to be done. Right. Uh, in terms of saying, okay, we're going to do this ourselves, because uh, and with social media now, right. you can spread the word about who you are and what you do, so that it it helps in terms of saying, okay, this is the product we've got. Mm-hmm. All right, we've got product now, and and we want to get it to you. This is where we're going to be. This is where you could show up, and and we've got uh, CDs for you to buy, or we've got uh, a music for you to download, and you know that didn't exist, you know, even you know twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's the same thing in the media. I mean, you know, now everybody can be a blogger. Every there's a, exactly. there's a sort of um, democracy in this, but at the end of the day, you still your major media companies. 
still function as sort of the gatekeepers. I right. mean, once they keep, and, and, and it's the same thing, I, I was getting back to this whole thing, critics versus sports writers, the, what we call, what I call the appraisers. Who appraises stuff? Well, you've got, you've got most of the sports writers in this country at the, are white, and most of the jazz critics, practically all mm-hmm. the jazz critics mm-hmm. are white. You know, it's, it's funny, these two, this, this, uh, of, you've got this group of performers who historically been largely black or, or people of color, but black in Africa, who are being appraised and judged by, you know, by people who are non-black and and, and not only non, are mostly white. So I, I keep seeing these 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 parallels. This it's not necessarily to make a point, other than we're kind of in the same trick bag. Where on one level you're doing it with muscle, and the other level you're doing it with your mind. But again. Who controls it? And and I guess what you were saying is, how do you break out of it? In each mm-hmm. in each generation, how do you deal with it? Yeah. How do you break out of? It? How do you control it? And and I think you were making the point in the last segment. Despite that, the music, the blackness of it, just continues to exist decade after decade yes. after decade after decade. Yes, yes, that's absolutely right. And I mean, you know, the, the train keeps rolling. Um, the delivery system, and I've been saying this uh, in conversation with people for a number of years, it's the delivery system that's significant now because the world is changing in terms of, of, of how, you, uh, how you deliver uh, art in, in a broad sense, and using a broad term that includes music, um, how you deliver it to people, how people access it, you know, uh, how you reach a changing demographic, and that's why Going back to what we talked about much earlier, that's why talking about how jazz reaches this current um, generation is so significant because this is a generation that receives information in a totally different way now. And so you have got to deliver music in a totally different way. And the the impetus and, and, and the importance of making sure that you are delivering music that you control uh, probably is not, you know, is as important as it's ever been uh, now because of, of how quickly uh, information is disseminated and it reaches people and you've got to be able to adjust and the music has to be able to adjust in that way also. What do you think, uh, before I was asking you about Kenny G, man, sort of the news of the day, next month in September, Kenny G is going to be headlining, or one of the, well, kind of headlining, the uh, John Coltrane Festival in North Carolina, um, which, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, 30 years, I mean, that would be unthinkable. And I, I guess it depends on, you could look at, it depends on how you look at things. You know, whether you look at this as well, we're trying to keep this music alive. And I think on the program will be, um, I think Esperanza Spalding. Esperanza Spalding, Gregory Porter. Porter's going to be there. And so, well, what, what do you think about that? For let's, let's, well, let's, let's. It, this is a part of a, of a much larger discussion uh, because, I mean, obviously, if you hear the term the John Coltrane Jazz and Blues Festival and then you hear that on the second day, Kenny G is essentially going to be the headliner. What? You, what? <laughs> yeah, no! No! I saw, I saw some funny memes on, on, the, yeah. <laughs> on the subject. You can't, you can't, you can't recon- reconcile it. But... What that reflects is really what's happening with a, a lot of jazz festivals in the country. Mm. And, and I think that the fact that the name John Coltrane is on the front of this, is really, it, it shakes people up. 
But the bottom line is that in a lot of places around the country now, what they're doing with jazz festivals are incorporating contemporary jazz artists on the bill. And even in some cases, they are, um, they are dominating the lineups. Um, now, me personally, I, I feel that that is just a very sad, uh, disappointing trend, but it's economically based. Mm. Uh, the promoters are feeling that they, you know, there's not an audience anymore. Now, I, that's arguable from my, from my perspective, but I don't think that there's much discussion that goes on um, because it's a bottom line issue with them. Um, from what I understand, <clears throat> and what I'm saying, I should say, this year's festival down in North Carolina, uh, uh, the John Coltrane Festival, with Gregory and with uh, Esperanza and with the Latin Jazz All-Stars, with Steve Teray and with Ramsey Lewis and Dee Dee Bridgewater, you know, that it, it is primarily, you know, a, a mainstream jazz festival. Now, festivals around the country aren't always like that, uh, but there are some festivals who have been able to deftly combine uh, some things uh, where it has satisfied both groups. The Playboy Jazz Festival is probably one of them. Uh, they're probably the one that comes to mind where the bill throughout both of the days of the weekend uh, actually had music for everybody. If you're going to do something with a jazz festival and call it a jazz festival, in my opinion, you got to have at least 50% or more on the bill being a jazz festival. Mm -hmm. Now, the reality from an economic standpoint from promoters, from the perspective of promoters, is that most jazz festivals in this country, probably the day of them being completely jazz are probably over. Uh, and that's, you know, that's a sad commentary, but like I said, that's part of a, a larger discussion. Uh, but to get back to your initial uh, question, um, a festival that has John Coltrane's name in it, it just doesn't, it's hard for me to grasp that, that uh, Kenny G would be what all marketing and promotion seems to indicate is the headliner. Um, that doesn't, like I said, that doesn't reconcile. And, you know, when you're not diligent, I guess when, when you hear that, you know, I'm thinking about a lot of other things, but when you, when you don't understand your history, when you do, things like this happen, yeah. before you know it, things like this happen. You've got, you know, and again, it gets back to who controls it, who's got the power. And also, you know, now we get on athletes a lot for not speaking up and not stepping back. But what I was, we were talking before, well, with Esperanza or with Didi, you know, with, with uh, Steve Torre, where they say, listen, I'm not playing. I'm boycotting. Mm -hmm. And the answer is probably no. You know, and, and, and I know the athletes get a lot of heat for not standing up. And, again, I have not spoken to Dee Dee Bridgewater. I have not spoken to Steve Torre, uh, great reporter, Esperanza. Mm -hmm. I would love to and ask them, hey, how do you feel? Do you feel that strongly that you're not going to play? Well, uh, let me make a couple of points here, uh, Bill. First, uh, you know, to be clear, uh, my commentary is not a, a any kind of swipe at Kenny G. You know, because mine that, is. <laughs> yeah, because my my point is is I'm 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 talking about this, I'm using perspective here in right. context. Right. Because 
Uh, I have worked with a number of contemporary jazz artists throughout the course of my career. Um, and the show that I do on WBGO incorporates some uh, contemporary jazz artists, and there are some who are very talented, you know, and I'm not making any judgment one way or another. The context in which we were talking about this has to do with a, a contemporary jazz is a certain element of the music, and there are, there are contemporary jazz festivals um, and bills with with primarily contemporary jazz artists. I think that the the mainstream jazz fans are just wondering why Kenny would be on this festival. It has nothing to do because because Kenny's fans are glad to see him there right. and all the other kinds of music that is a part of the Coltrane Jazz and Blues Festivals festival. You have musicians and you have uh, you have uh, um, audience members rather who um, who are there. To uh, to hear the music, so it's 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 less an issue with the musicians, and it really it's more context in terms of where they are. And the other point that I wanted to make is that you're you're asking about the musicians and how they would uh, fear. The reality of it is that uh, I mean, the reality of it, quite frankly, is that this is an opportunity for them. It's an opportunity for them to play, <laughs> yeah. you know, and and, well, and, and as Carlos a and, and Tommy and, Smith on the Olympic stand in '68 as a promote. What what the problem is the they would say we didn't put the bill together. Um, the promoter put the bill together. They asked us to play. We said okay, we'll play. How were they now? Now if 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 Kenny if Kenny for example wasn't the only musician who was a contemporary jazz artist on the bill, and they maybe had like three quarters of the bill, then that becomes a different kind of scenario. You can conceivably have a different kind of discussion. Uh, about it, but like I said, the reality th this this is not a judgment one way or another, a comment one or, one way or another. All I'm doing right now is talking about the reality of the situation, which is not palatable for a lot of people right now. That unfortunately, this is what has come to when you start talking about jazz festivals most of the time uh, around the country. Mm. I remember once at a, at a at a concert. It was, it was a Jackie McLean concert in D.C. and Chuck Mangione had just won something. And I remember Jackie came out, he said something about it. He said something like, yeah, they said Chuck Mayer, he sounded kind of like a bullhorn. I mean, he kind of took a swipe at it and he yeah. acknowledged, he used his stature as the great Jackie McLean to say, don't you confuse that yeah. with me. And um, again, it is what it is, but, but I guess you respect people and I think of Billy Harper, yes. you know, who my first trip my first trip out of the country uh, was as Billy Harper's road manager. Uh, I was at the Baltimore Sun and doing this, you know, trying to be this jazz critic. And I use critic in that very, because I don't really. More, more like a columnist yeah, and observer. Yeah, because I, I respect yeah, them too much. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I can't criticize them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, Are you kidding me? Exactly. You know, and I say feel the same way about the sports guys. Yeah, I, mean, right. I can't. I respect you guys too much. Right. To your, but so he just said, uh, listen, you know, I'm getting ready to go on the road for a month. Uh, you want to learn about this music? So come be my road manager. So I spent a month on the road with Billy Harper. And I gained so much respect for him just as a musician, as, a, as somebody who's not compromising. Yeah, yeah. And I remember the very last day, and this is kind of apropos of nothing, um, but I remember the very last day we were in Portugal. And it had been a long trip, been a month. And one of the guys was dragging, trumpet player was kind of dragging. I remember before they went out on stage, Harper said, listen, 
I don't play that much in the States. I don't record that much. And for all I know, there's somebody out there who's either listening to me for the, for the first time or this could be the last thing I do. Right. And that's how I, and I remember that made an impression about me, about how I go about my work. That's right. But also just him. Like, it's not like, now, now when we got off the plane, we were in, Port, we were in uh, Poland. And there are people who came with Billy Harper albums. Now, this is in Poland. They knew who the drummer was, not a can. So, so I, I guess I'm, I know I'm going all over the place. But when you're going to have Kenny G, so, well, did you ask Billy Harper? I mean, did uh, yeah. you? I mean, and, well, and, I, yeah, and I understand that point, and I understand that point, um, and it's it's the discussion that that uh, that uh, all mainstream jazz fans have. You know, um, why did you make that decision? And like I said, these days is economic based. Uh, the, the, the one other thing that I, I'd like to say about any kind of discussion in terms of contemporary jazz and mainstream jazz is that I've always looked at um, the one thing about contemporary jazz is that you have a healthy audience for the music. And it, essentially we're talking about uh, people who uh, grew up on instrumental music. Um, now, whatever you, your opinion is of what ended up becoming known as smooth jazz, because you know, you notice I don't use that term. Um, the thing about it is that, the format as it was developed in radio actually started, you know, back in the early 80s. And the people who are most associated with it are people like Grover Washington Jr. Now, people forget that Grover started out playing with organ trios and organ bands and played straight ahead music. OK, and and the point I'm making here is that early contemporary jazz or what became known as as contemporary jazz was very seriously improvisational in, in, in its style. It became something else, and that's when it fell under criticism. Uh, the other point I wanted to make is that it has served as a bridge to mainstream jazz for a lot of people. Uh, that is a positive for people who are, you know, talking about the music and, and not liking it. I've always looked at it from the perspective of what's going to introduce you to Miles. Mm -hmm. You might hear Miles for the very first time, but maybe you hear someone else, okay? Or maybe you hear a, a, a song harmonically or melodically that you enjoy, and you're saying, well, this is instrumental music, because you have to remember a lot of people who get into any kind of instrumental music, other than the people I made reference to, are people who aren't used to hearing just instruments. Right. They, 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 they are folks who say, well, you know, I'm going to listen to music and it always has to have lyrics. In a lot of instances, contemporary jazz brings people into instrumental music. Uh, and then from that point, they, the door opens and suddenly they're listening to Miles and Cannonball. Um, sure. and, and, you know, and so that's a totally different discussion in terms of Kenny G and John Coltrane. Listen, it's kind of like I remember a friend of mine said, uh, uh, everybody that she was saying that um, she was with, uh, she was with somebody's boyfriend, and I, I, these are celebrities, but she was saying uh, this is gonna be kind of convoluted, but the point is somebody went to bed with this artist or something, and she said that one night I outgrew my other relationship. And sometimes, so you can go hear Kenny G, and then all of a sudden maybe you're high or something, and you go listen to, Esperanza Spalding, yeah. or you go hear uh, um, 
a Steve Ferre play, yeah. and you're like, wait a minute, shit, are you kidding yeah, me? Yeah. This is like a whole nother yeah, level exactly. of music exactly. that I was not, so. Yeah, that, and that's right. that's essentially what I was getting to. Kenny G did, I, somebody, Harper told me, right? that there was a friend, it was Frank Foster was playing, and Kenny G must have been something, and, and of course Frank Foster was playing that, and so Kenny G asked me, wow, that guy's pretty good. <laughs> and he told me that, you know, yeah, that yeah. guy's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, he wanted to kind of knock the guy. And the other thing, I, I was at a concert, a Global Washington concert, that's right, way back, in, in, in Chicago. But I remember he played Straight No Chaser, but after he played the second tune, a lot of people start coming, mm -hmm. come on, Grover. Mm -hmm. But I remember, I, I, I had so much respect. He said, oh, listen, people, just wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'll get to wine light. No, yeah. but just wait a minute. Yeah. And he yeah. plays some. And I remember standing up and giving yeah. him like a little yeah. ovation because yeah. what he was saying, I guess at some point, he said, I can play. Yeah. Don't yeah. get it That's twisted. Exactly. There may be somebody out here. Ex I can play. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, I'll tell you something, Bill. For me, bottom line, what brings you to the music? I don't care how you get there. I don't care how you get there. Okay, and there are all kinds of there are different parts of the music and parts of the genre that people will embrace and love at a certain point in their life, and maybe they will stay there. You can't say anything about people's musical tastes, but if you are immersed in this music uh, to the degree that we are, you are hopeful that everyone has an opportunity to be exposed to the breadth of, 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 of what jazz, you know, presents to people and to the world. So, you know, you know where, we know where we are, um, but I'm the kind of person who've, who's always appreciated good music, period. Right. Uh, you know, like, like Duke right. used to say, you know, there's only one kind of, there's only good music and there's bad music. <laughs> right. Okay, you know, it's good music and it's right. bad music. And, and you know, if, 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 if you can't get into Train or Cannonball, but you like Grover, you know, at least you like music and it will t it'll take you along this route. You know, because that's what the music is all about. And I go back to what I said er earlier. This is, by definition, evolutionary. You know, this music, it can't stay static. Right, exactly. I mean, but exactly. The, the obvious problem that, that, that people have with this move is an attempt to put Kenny G on Coltrane's level or seeing right. well, that yeah, Exactly. It, when, 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 yeah, that, 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 is, that ends up being the issue and why people get into discussions about it. Because now we're talking about, uh, you know, uh, um, impact. Uh, and now you get into serious arguments when you start talking about somebody like a Miles or a Train and, and what they've been able to do musically. And you know, start comparing context and comparing people in that regard, and, and using superlatives, then people start to get excited, <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. Like Bill. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I would like I'm just disgusted um, yeah. because you know. But then he said, "Well, what are you going to do?" And well, listen, my guest is Eulis uh, Kathy. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and when we come back for our last segment. I'm going to put you on the desert aisle. Say so you've been on a desert aisle, you'll be in exile to this desert aisle, and the house is burning, the boat's getting ready to take you away. Say, Yus, come on, come on, come on. You could only take five jams with you for the rest of your life on this desert island, and you're going to tell us the five jams that you could take when the boat's out there saying, you got to come, the house is burning down. You could only bring these five jams, and when we come back, Yus Kathy is going to tell us the five jams 
that he will take to this desert island. When we come back, Bill Roden. We're back on the Desert Isle with Euless Kathy, Jamal Murphy, and Euless is trying to like get out of this. He says, no, it's impossible, it's impossible. No, I wasn't trying to get out of it, <laughs> but I was just trying to navigate it a little bit. Yeah, well, and your question was, is it an album or is it, all yeah. I know is that you're at the house and the, the, the boat is there honking, come on, we gotta go, we yeah. got, Euless, we gotta go, we gotta go, just grab something, grab five, so what are you gonna, it's the track, so, how you know? However you negotiate it, it's five. It's yeah. five of either the track or the album, you know, yeah. or the turntable. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Um, I I probably have to. I, the the most difficult aspect of this is the fact that Miles Davis is my favorite musician. So it's almost impossible for me to pick one Miles Davis recording. I mean, I think Kind of Blue is. Um, is a, a seminal record for a lot of reasons. But if I think about Miles, I also have to think about uh, his creative, the creative source. And Bitches Brew is a record that comes mm -hmm. to mind that just like broke down doors, mm -hmm. okay? And I still remember what that record did to me when I first heard it, okay? Because mm -hmm. I just like said, wow, I've never heard anything like this before. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I think of those two records, I think of, 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 uh, of, um, uh, uh, Diminuendo and Crescendo in mm. Blue from, uh, oh. from, uh, Duke at Newport. Mm. Okay. I'd have to have that. Um, I'd have to, uh, I'd have to have, uh, well, any of a number of Art Blakey records, because to me, that's like the, the, the essence of Hard Bomb. Mm. Um, and um, let me see. Now I've I've given you like what four, four yeah, recordings. I've given you two Duke miles, Ellington, Duke Ellington, miles, and and uh, you know from that point. And uh, look, in this particular instance, I'm not necessarily talking about. And, and and you indicated this. I'm not talking about eras in particular. I'm just talking about you know favorite recordings. Right. Um, so I think that uh, I would probably. Uh, I'd have to pick it. I'd ha I have to go with. I'd have to have some. See, this is, this is what's difficult. It is difficult. I'd have to do. Um, I'd have to have a train, mm. but I'd also love to have some Joe Henderson. Okay, so <laughs> see, that's the problem, you know. And and interestingly enough, Train has so many like seminal recordings, you know. Um, but one of my all-time favorites was a recording that was made in '65 but not released until like 70, I believe. And that's a recording called Transition, mm. which to mm. me one is one of the most powerful statements that Train has ever made. Mm. And I'd have to have Transition, I think. Mm. That's one of my all-time favorite Train recordings. And it's not one that would come to most people's minds. No, I when you mention, every time somebody's me, I say, oh yeah, that's, because you're right, that's not the first thing that will come to your yeah, mind. Yeah, it's not the, and I remember the, again, for me, this music has always been something that triggered 
emotional memories. I, I can just remember how it affected me. And that record, I remember how it affected me the first time I heard it. You know, just like uh, Bitches Brew is like mm. that, just like Kind of Blue is like that, you know. But, you know, if I'm not careful, I'll start talking about a, a whole lot of Miles Davis records mm. and not much else. Uh, but but, but the point is, let's, let's answer your question. I, I gave you two Miles, I gave you Duke Ellington, and uh, I gave you, um, what was the other one? You gave us Art Blakey. I gave you Art Blakey. Art Blakey. I gave you Art Blakey and... Um, and you, uh, you just ended with, um, and I ended, and uh, I said, transition, train. And train. I said train, transition with train. So mm-hmm. I'll start there now. You know, I left a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> okay, you know, the boat was calling me. So right. I but, mean, but there wasn't I could do. If you got some other like my vote, there's gonna be some cool music on the island. Because, well, that's a good point. Because somebody's gonna say, well, if somebody may just bring nothing but Joe Henderson. That's right. Somebody's gonna be nothing but Carmen McRae. That's right. So, but now, it, interesting. We I did this a long time ago. I had this this listening set in Brooklyn. And Chuck Stewart, the great yes. photographer, came. Yes. And I remember he says, so I played, you know, Pharaoh, you know, the jam I played was uh, You Gotta Have Freedom. Right. Pharaoh, which I'd bring anyway. Right. Yeah. But now he said, yeah, well, that's nice. But he played the Count Basie. His album was the Count Basie's. Remember the one with the uh, MC Square with the atomic bomb? Yes. On yes. it. Now he said, I'm going to bring that because remember, we're going to be on a desert island. I want to hear something that I could hear over and over and over again, and I, and I play, you can play that album, yeah. both sides, it's a track, yeah. and you can kind of hear it over yeah, yeah, and over yeah, yeah. and over again. I'm thinking, yeah. what album well, I could, could I play and hear over, and I could hear Hartman, uh, Johnny Hartman, uh, Tra- 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 yeah, Tra- I could Tra- hear Tra- that over, I'd probably be like crying, but I could hear <laughs> it over and over and over again. And there's something by the art ensemble, almost anything by the art ensemble, yeah. I take like a double album. I take a double album right. of the art ensemble because at that point I just put it on, and I can just listen to it over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah, and, yeah. And I'd probably be inclined. What can I listen to? Because remember, you'll be here forever. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, kind of blue is a record you can listen to over you can and over. Listen to that over and over. and and if I were to pick. I mean, you know, there are all kinds of, uh, uh, there's a, the uh, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers Impulse record. Uh, that was a great one, but any of his Blue Note records you could choose and you'd be happy with. You could almost you know? reach into your stack. Exactly. And say, okay, let me just pull out. Yeah. And that'd be an interesting thing too. There are certain yeah. musicians who you can just pull out and say, it doesn't right. really, it doesn't, now others, you have, whoa, 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 right, now, right. I'll take this one. Right, 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 <laughs> exactly. And I mean, the, the thing about this music is that you've got musicians like Miles and, and Miles and Herbie in particular, mm-hmm. who have done so right. many different things, right. Herbie Hancock, that there are a number of, of recordings by them, you can say, okay, you know, I, I'm sorry, but I can't just choose one. You know, I, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just can't because at different times and different eras, uh, they made music. That was, you know, again, I, I keep getting back to this. One of the things I love about this music that, you know, is not, you know, what pop music is about is the fact that it's always going to change. You know, I mean, and these musicians are always going, probably most important, uh, to describe it, the best way to describe it is that the musicians are going to evolve hmm. and bring the music along with them. That that's really what it is, you know, because and the reason I, I say this is is as an example, and I and I've been thinking about this a lot. I have great conversations with friends of mine about this. 
when the few you've got a group of musicians who essentially created the the, the jazz fusion era, regardless how people feel about it. Right, right. Um, Miles was actually the trunk of the tree, but to 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 underscore my point, like I said, regardless of how people feel about the jazz fusion in general, the guys who actually were at the forefront of it were all musicians in like their early 30s mm. who were steeped in the music and were presented with this opportunity to do something different. And that's the key to the music. It's like doing something different and evolving. So you got Herbie, you got you got you got uh, uh, um, Chick Corea, you know, you got, you know, Joe Zavanu and Wayne and all these guys said, well, we got all these instruments here. We've got an opportunity to try to do something else, you know. And so all of a sudden they started tink tinkering around. These are guys who are basing the jazz tradition. And what people have to remember about the jazz fusion era, again, regardless of how people feel about it, is that it was still like improvisationally based. Right, right. Okay. You're right. I mean, a lot of it was almost collective improvisation. Exactly. Yeah. Collective improvisation. So these are guys who had, had been steeped in the music, who grew up in it through their 20s. Once they reached their early 30s, they're like, well, wow, what's next? Mm. And that phrase is, it exemplifies what this music is about. What is next? You know, it's funny. Um, we, at the last listening set, um, we had uh, Ron Carter came to the set. And so uh, it's so funny, but it was enlightening to people there. Somebody played Infinite. They played the, the Doug and Gene Carn version of right. Infinite. Then they played, because everybody's, oh, yeah, Infinite, Infinite. Then somebody played uh, Wayne Shorter. Yeah. And it was so, when it was playing, I was looking at, I was looking at uh, Ron just to see his reaction. So when it, when it asked, so Ron, what, what did you think when you listen to this? And he's just saying, ugh. He said, why did I play those notes? Why did I? Yeah, oh, gee. man. And, but what he went on to say is that, man, you know, I was like 35 At, years old. Well, yeah. I'm not even that person anymore. That's right. I wouldn't let Wayne play those notes anymore. Well, you know what? He was younger than that, you know, because that record came out. That record was recorded in like on Christmas Eve of 1964. So Ron was only like 26 mm. or was 27 years old when that record was made. At the oldest person on that date was probably Wayne and the only, oldest people on that date were Wayne and Elvin, I think. Because cause Herbie, Herbie was like uh, uh, 24, you know. Freddie was like 26. Mm. All those guys were in, and see, that's this is what I'm talking about. These are these are classic recordings mm. that these guys were making in their like mid to late 20s. Right. So now here you are 73, and see, I think what we get caught up in, we listen to it as consumers. Oh yeah, man, that was really a bad jam. Yeah. But like, you know, Ron, man, I'm not even, I'm, I'm not even. Don't ask me to paint that. I mean, yeah, I'm, right. Exactly. I, I mean, it's, yeah, it's great, but I'm just so far, and I thought about that too in terms of things like. I may write or whatever, and they say like ten years ago. I said, "Man, I, I'm glad you like it, but yeah, that's right. I'm not even. I, that's that. I'm not even there, but I'm glad it's enduring." Right. Um, one last thing. I mean, that, listen, we could do this for like five more hours, Indeed. and we may, we may do it. Uh, in fact, maybe <laughs> you'll invite me on your show one day. We'll talk sports. Yeah, there you <laughs> go. Yeah, in fact, right. And the topic we would, the topic we discuss, and I is that when Kevin Durant joined the. Um, and I'm not sure if this is the correct thing, but when Kevin Durant joined Golden State, remember, and, and yeah. there's this whole big thing about, man, how's he going to fit in and something like that. And you know what? I wanted to call, and I, I think this is, I wanted to call McCoy because I wanted to find out how did Elvin feel 
Remember when Train when, when Rashid came when, in? When, when Rashid yeah. brought Ash, Ra- Rashid yeah. Ali. I'm like, man, I would give anything to, and I, we know generally that Elvin wasn't happy. Right. But I'm just curious, what were the dynamics yeah. of that? Yeah. You know, when you bring in somebody into the, into the team, into the thing, and I want. I would just. I would love to hear McCoy just talk about yeah, what some of those, know. Some of those locker room talks were that's like. That's right. <laughs> no, that's absolutely right. Yeah, me too. I wonder as well. Yeah. Well, maybe one day, maybe you get McCoy on the show, or we come up to be on Bill Road and on sports. I know he's a big sports guy. Okay. But even though he is in Philadelphia, which is uh, that's another show. Yeah, that is another show. And you're from Buffalo, the Bill. Yeah, we could talk about sports in Buffalo. Uh, yeah, we could. Yes, we could. Because I know you were a big. You were you a Bills fan going on? Yeah, I was a Bill fan. You can admit it. You can. That's okay. No, look, I, I, I will readily admit it. You okay. Know? <laughs> <laughs> you know the, you know that they, they. Cookie Gilchrist. That's right, Cookie, Cookie Gil, Gilchrist. Cookie Gilchrist, and a lot of other people that people don't realize a great receiver named Albert Dubinian. Oh come on, man. Okay, Golden du- Wheel. Doobie, yeah, Doobie, and yeah. Uh, you know, you know, I mean. A great history there when they were, particularly during the AFL years. They, you know, great, great squads. Uh, you know, in fact, I give, I'm going to give you a book by a guy named Joe Valerio, uh-huh. who is a producer of the Sports Reporters, right? Who wrote a book about the Buffalo Bills, right? And uh, you'll, you'll like the last thing I said about we talk about Cookie Gilchrist. I know we're running over Jamal, but well, no I guess such thing. No such thing as running over. But so. There was before uh, Buffalo was playing maybe in the last Super Bowl against Dallas. Right. And so I was thinking, you know what these guys need? They need the spirit of Cookie Gilchrist. Yeah. And yeah. so I said, let me get Cookie on the phone. I want to call him. So I spent like almost two days trying to track down Cookie Gilchrist. Yeah. Because I remember as a kid, you know, you know, Cookie Gilchrist. So I spent the whole day. So finally I got to one guy, and you, you know he's a running backer. A defensive back. Anyway, he gave me Cookie's number. Uh, could it be Booker Edgerson? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Booker, Booker Edgerson. Edgerson. Right. I got to him and he gave me Cookie's number. Yeah. He he said something, but I, I said so. I got it, and so as a reporter, you find get the number. So I, I I remember being in the airport, and I called the number, and then Cookie has it. Hello, I said. Hey, Cookie, uh, my name is Bill Roden with the New York Times. Not interested. <laughs> I said, I don't Not interested. And he said about three times, and then finally, man, I had to scramble. I said, oh, man, this guy's getting ready to hang up. And he said, not interested. So finally, I, I forgot what I said to get him to hang up. I started gripping and pleading. So finally, he told, well, yeah, and, anyway, and I went to the Cleveland Browns, blah, blah, blah. And he, he ran this whole thing down. And, man, I was just like, whoa. And I just remember he said, not interested. But finally, I mean, we, after that initial shock wave, yeah, yeah. you know, we may, that we may have talked two or three times. And then I remember one company said, and if you print any of this, I'm going to come up to New York personally and choke you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, Don't have to worry about that, brother. Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny. Oh, man, Cookie Gilchrist. Yeah, man. Well, you know, Showtime did a uh, history of the AFL mm. uh, series a few years ago. It really <laughs> talked about those days. Mm. You know, the early days of the American Football League and the Bills and, and their uh, their ascendancy and things of that nature. It was a good reminiscent about those days, you know. Hey, my guest has been <laughs> my guest has been great. Euless Kathy Euless, thank thanks so much, man. Oh, and you the can pleasure's hear, all mine. Oh man. no, this is this is great. You could hear Euless Kathy uh on uh, Sirius XM Real Jazz, channel sixty seven. Uh, tell them when you could hear. You, you, yeah, I'm on. Uh, I'm on uh, Real Jazz Monday through Fridays, 9 a.m. to 6. I mean, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. I should say, and then on Saturdays from 2 p.m. until 8 p.m. 
That's great. And uh, man, it's been a pleasure. Man. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah. Good brother. Really, really, really no, good brother. The pleasure's on mine, man. You know, mutual respect, much respect. Well, good. We got that's that's the and a, way. a history lesson for me. Yeah, yeah. Right. I, I'm gonna quiz I got, you. On I took this notes. Tomorrow. I took plenty of notes. And I saw you writing stuff down. <laughs> yeah. And if we could play some of this music, I can't because then you'll get sued. We can't play. Yeah. I want actually. We have a mixer that Jamal won't let me use. <laughs> but 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 we could hook up a right. turntable to the mixer. Yeah. And we can't play little samples. How how much can you play before you start getting sued? Yeah, yeah, well, let's not not really talk too much. Let's not get into that, you know. Right. You know, but but yeah, you know, you might want to uh, (laughs) take a look at things regarding that. Well, my my father, Clyde Burphy, was a huge jazz fanatic. Is that right? I was too busy listening to hip-hop. He was telling me at the time I was making a huge mistake. Well, well, let me tell you something, Jamal. I I say this all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, you, and it's funny because I've been talking about this lately with some friends of mine. And we all agree, this is the thing. Now, you're growing up and, you know, you might have an older brother or sister or parents who listen to jazz and you're like, you know what, I'm not even hearing it. You know, you're listening to the music of the day. It's going to come back around. Oh, it's, and, and, it's already and, started and, to. Yeah, and it'll hit you right. at some point in time. You're like, wow, you know what? I, I, but I remember hearing this when I was growing up. It right. always comes back to you. Right. You know, if, if, it's, if you are immersed in it, even if you're not – Intent on listening to it when you're growing up, it will come back to you. Right, there's no question. Uh, remember, um, which this is one of the longest endings of the show we've had. But you know, um, I was at Morgan, and my sister, my sister Yah, bless her soul, she hit me to the music, and she said, "Okay." And her and her boyfriend was Soji, and he played. And they were, in fact, they were Northwestern with um, Chico Freeman. Ah, okay, okay. But she was saying, "Okay, you're going off to college. There's some jams. You, you got to know who Coleman Hawkins is." You have to know who Sidney Bechet is. There's just some basic things you gotta have in your collection when you, you gotta know who Eric Dolphy is and this kind of stuff. So I'm taking this kind of music. In my first couple of years, you buying this music and not really have your ears haven't caught up with it yet. But I know, you know, in fact, uh, my, my, well, this is a long story, but Georgina, whose birthday is today, my first wife, uh, it was cool people, but in high school, you know, I was at, um, you know, I was a football team and we were selling some raffle or something. She came by the table and I was like, well, what kind of music do you like? Uh, the Temptation? I said, oh yeah, The Temptation and all that. So I asked her, she said, well, do, are you, are, do you know John Coltrane's Coolest of Mama? You know? Mm. And so I'm like, no. You know, and of course, about two years later, I bought it. I'm like, listen to it. I said, what the was she, what was she, what was she listening? I mean, mm-hmm. you know. But so the point is, we were going out to a party one day, and you know, at, at Morgan, and of course, there's certain you know people were smoking their spirits, whatever, whatever, whatever. Just you know, nothing illegal, of course. Of course. Of course, of nothing course. illegal because this is Bill Roden on sports. And we don't do anything, <laughs> you know. But anyway, so we you know do a little ritual, going to a party and stuff. I just. For a reason, you know, I just kind of gone to my no-show job. I played, you know, football, and I just gone to record and tape collector in Baltimore and bought like spent all my check on these jams I was supposed to get. For some reason, I bought a bunch of Eric Dolphy. So everybody left the party and that, that my thing. Everybody left. For some reason, I put this Eric Dolphy on, and man, I got it. I put this shit on. I got it, and man, I just remember. Listening and falling back on my bed, just laughing. Yeah. And like, oh man. And then all of a sudden, the next five hours, I would go back and, oh, I would put on more. Then I put on Bird. And I was yeah. like, oh, yeah. shit. 
Yeah, well, see, that, <laughs> when, when you get it, oh, there's no other feeling like that's it. That's right. It's like, but if, if you're a writer, you're a painter, whatever you're doing, you just see it complete. I was even telling some athletes, man, when you get this music, it's going to change. Yeah. It's going to change your whole way of seeing stuff, you know, when you get it. But you got to get it, though. You know, you got to get it. That's right. And we will get it. We're going to finally, it's now dark here at Harlem USA. When we started, it was light. Hey, you listen, man, thank you so, so much, no, man. This no, has no. been Thank you for inviting great. me, man. I oh, appreciate no, my, my, it. My pleasure. Uh, Bill Roden, Jamal Murphy, Eulis uh, Kathy, another version of Bill Roden on sports. And uh, thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll see you later. God bless. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.